Personal log, Lieutenant Commander Jordy LaForge. Man, even my vacation hookups are fake. <laughs> Short and sweet. Welcome to Reengage, where we watch every episode of the sci-fi series Star Trek The Next Generation and re-engage with the show from the perspective of adult storytellers instead of the Gen X kids we were when it first aired. Today, we are talking about the 24th episode of Season 4, The Mind's Eye. I am so excited to welcome my fellow cultural bridge officers to discuss this episode that puts Jordy in the role of the Romulan candidate. Hi, Kate Yeager. How are you doing? I see you I'm laughing so, there. I'm so fantastic. Thank you. Uh, yes, I am just tickled pink with, by the thought of uh, him realizing that yet again, he's had a fake relationship. <laughs> that is just so tragic. I didn't even make that connection. Well done. It felt so real. Jimmy G, how are you? I'm great, and I see all of you in my mind's eye. He points to his own brain with his fingers, in case you didn't know where that was. <laughs> Eric Curry, what's going on with you? I'm sorry, what? No, I'm I'm nothing. I'm hanging out with you guys. Uh, I'm in love with this episode. It's just, especially because we're watching them kind of all in a row and, and taking them apart. Like this episode, I found... Just extraordinary. <laughs> it's like in in meta ways, in ridiculous ways. I I had a ball. I did too. I did too. Uh, so let's get to chatting about it. Uh, it took place on star date four four eight eight five point five, but in our world, it first premiered on May twenty seventh, nineteen ninety one. Uh, I don't have too much to go over, but I will say uh, on. May 20th, the Soviet parliament approved a law allowing citizens to travel abroad. So that was nice of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can finally leave this country that is perfect in every way. All right, go ahead if you want to, <laughs> even though it's going to fall apart soon. Um, speaking of falling apart, on May 24th, this was the end of a Ethiopian civil war. Uh, so uh, I learned just a, a quick little bit about the history of this war. It had been going on since uh, the 1970s. A military uh, junta had taken over and set up a Marxist rule uh, in that country. But of course, that led to uh, the changing of all of the ways that food was grown uh, to match the Soviet model. And that led to the huge famine that we all probably remember hearing about um, in the mid 80s from Sally Struthers. Ah, uh, Yes. <laughs> We all do. I, I would like to point out that they, they happened one right after another as opposed to necessarily were caused by each other. <laughs> true, true. Uh, and then uh, the people were as uh, angry uh, and justifiable as possible about that uh, leader. And he eventually left to uh, Zimbabwe, where he currently still stands. But then his, his entire government fell apart after that. Um, and this was all occurring here in May of 1991. Uh, a little bit of an interesting bit, too, is that the there is a community of Jews called the Beta Israel community in Ethiopia who trace their lineage back to Solomon um, and uh, the original tribes, Egypt, leaving with Moses. One of them, uh, those tribes uh, apparently went south in one of the legends and formed this community of Ethiopian Jews. And then following the civil war, the Israeli Jewish community was like, oh, yeah, you're a part of our community, too. And they have relocated essentially that entire community, which was around 100,000 people. 100 150,000 people to Israel and they make up about 1% of the population in Israel now. Hmm. I did not know. 
Yeah, I know, was, right? Yeah. Oh. The more you know. That was happening in the world, but what was happening in the world of pop culture, Kate? I'm so glad you asked. We had a little bit of a break between episodes, so we missed uh, the song, I Like the Way, comma, uh, comma, not comma, what do you call these? Parentheses. Parentheses. We (laughs) We missed, I Like the Way, parentheses, The Kissing Game by High Five. I'm going to just let that sink in that that was a song that apparently existed in 1991. <laughs> Followed this week uh, by I Don't Want to Cry by Mariah Carey, which uh, mm. I will now sing the highest note in. You're welcome. It was so high you couldn't hear it with human ears. Be quiet, dogs. <laughs> in the movies, we missed What About Bob, that classic oh. movie of all times. And this week, it was the movie Backdraft. Two very different movie-going experiences, but both quintessential of the 1990s, early 1990s. On television, the Comedy Network officially became Comedy Central. And it actually took a bunch of different comedy networks and put them all together. It had been known as CTV, Uh, But there is a very famous CTV in Canada, thank you very much, that wanted their name back. So that's how we got Comedy Central. In the gaming world, Nintendo announced the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. The 16-bit system used new game cartridges and compact discs using a CD-ROM drive. Oh, Oh, the Super Nintendo. I remember that. Super Mario (laughs) World, Yoshi. Super Nintendo. (laughs) And finally, in theater, the 45th Tony Awards took place and Lost in Yonkers and Will Rogers Follies took the top prizes of the night. And that's what was happening in pop culture. I would like your... your, Sound the the uh the Tony for Best Supporting Actress uh for that went to of course Mercedes Rule, who that same year won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for Fisher King. Oh wow. We do now the the ought of the egot in there and in just one year. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, it was the second time that happened, if you remember, the first being uh, Audrey Hepburn. I did not know the that. Same thing mm-hmm. early in her career. Wow. Fantastic. Well, speaking of actors, uh, Eric, there are quite a few actors in this episode uh, that we should highlight. There are, but I'm going to choose two and highlight the hell out of them. Do it. Uh, we're going to talk about Kel and Tybach, if you guys don't mind. We'll start with Larry Dobkin, who played Kel and directed in television, starred in television, starred in movies you can't imagine since the 30s. The dude was born in uh, New York City and started acting before World War II, but then went through World War II and then came back and understudied specifically on Broadway. When he came back, he did radio for decades, continuing all the way through, uh, continuing to do um, voiceover into video games uh, as late as 1999 when he was a voice on Rainbow Six Rogue Spear. (laughs) He started appearing in television in 1946 uh, when he was on shows like that I don't remember. He was on I Love Lucy several times. Like, that kills me. He was the star of Mr. Adams and Eve 
about married actors living in Beverly Hills with Ida Lupino. And now I want to check that out if I can find that anywhere. And then we get into his film career. Uh, I mean, he directed several episodes of the first season of The Munsters. We got to talk about that as well as uh, The Waltons and other big shows like that. But in films, stuff like The Day the Earth Stood Still. Mm. He was in that Julius Caesar with Hume Cronin and the boys. He was in The Ten Commandments, The Defiant Ones, Patton. North by Northwest, he has that fantastic line that was uh, quoted basically everywhere I saw him talked about, which is where they're talking about Cary Grant's character. And he says, it's so horribly sad. Why is it I feel like laughing? Mm. And it's just such an iconic line in Hitchcock. Um, he died, unfortunately, in October 20, uh, 2002, a legend in the industry. It was so cool to see him in this uh episode and he is fantastic i saw it just one quick i think i saw that he directed an original series episode of star trek as well in his directing Ooh, i missed stuff, that so which i thought that was a nice little connection yes that's fantastic which brings us to john fleck who played tybok we got to talk about john fleck he's a performance artist that just a couple years before this just which is possibly how he got uh, this gig in solidarity with the writers uh, of this he's a uh, on-stage performance artist and in 1990, he became one of the NEA4, which was the group that was denied funding by the National Endowment for the Arts on content grounds. And they sued and initially won, were given, you know, uh, equal to the grant money in question in damages. But then when the, the case went all the way to the Supreme Court, they ruled against him and the other three and in favor of the NEA selection process. When I When you look up his picture, he's notable for a lot of like, goofy stuff that you remember from the 80s and 90s it's it's interesting because his his kind of upcoming is similar in a lot of ways to bill Irwin, but his his um uh content is much more uh controversial right so it's neat to see that he was doing some of the same stuff Irwin was doing like he's one of the one of the guys in the zz top video for legs and i think once you see him and if you remember that video you'll absolutely remember just the goofy shit he was doing as like this uh, person who's being completely dominated by these three women who come in with their car. It's fascinating. And it, it just for that, he's an iconic 80s face, right? But he worked extensively at La Mama ETC, which we all remember from the Lower East Side in New York. Was, yeah. And he himself is in such uh, crazy, ridiculous, famous stuff as uh, Hard Rock Zombies. Uh, but we go right from there to Howard the Duck, which, again, mm. is just this ridiculously underground, terrible fucking movie based on this ridiculously underground, awesome comic book. Uh, it's just neat to see him involved in that kind of shit. He's in my favorite bad movie ever made, Dante's Inferno. <gasps> Um, <laughs> that's one of my it's the best it's one of my top 10 will watch no matter what it if it is on it is on my mind sorry continue. it includes the famous and wonderful seduction line it's like riding a bike long pause as the music swells you never forget how <laughs> um at least 30 years after that was first coined um he was on hunter and cheers and max headroom everybody on max headroom needs to get a rewatch from us my two dads star trek the next generation star trek deep space nine mm -hmm. star trek deep space nine again uh he kept going through things like millennium all these things that kind of 
were forgotten about after they went through he was a deep part of which i don't know how he feels about it but i feel great about it um voyager deep space nine again uh enterprise he's currently on the orville and uh Mm. my very very favorite uh thing that he did i think is probably carnival he played gecko in the first season of that uh so really really recommend going back and taking a look at the wonderful john fleck uh, who is still going strong uh, this very day. And uh, that's all I'm going to concentrate on with the actors today because I've already taken too much time. I love it. Thank you so much. I love that journey. John Absolutely. Fleck. Uh, Fleck! Fleck! I loved it. All right, Jimmy, what was happening behind the scenes on this episode? Well, we have another directing first. Line producer David Livingston came from ABC in 1987 to be the production pilot for uh, the first episode of TNG. Here gets his crack at directing. Uh, He was a big fan of uh, Manchurian Candidate, and as such, he snuck in a scene that is an homage to a scene from the Manchurian Candidate, and that is uh, the scene in which uh, fake O'Brien gets shot in Tin Ford. We get a POV scene, or several POV scenes from Jordy's visor, which uh, we haven't seen since season one, Heart of Glory, also a Klingon episode. Mm. And in a perfect lesson of not leaving bad enough alone, Jordy's wrangling with a computer to find something that he enjoys listening to on his shuttle ride is a callback to his dinner with Leah Brahms. More specifically, how he settles on the guitar music. We get a look, our very first look, at both the Klingon and the Romulans transporter beams. And for those listeners that like to kick rocks, uh, the Klingons is a quick, the Klingons transporter beam is a quick solid red swipe from top to bottom with a few residual gold sparkles at the end. Mm. And the Romulan beam is green, dissolves rapidly with a little bit of shimmer. No one can say that they somehow sometimes doubt our commitment to sparkle motion. (laughs) And that is all from the Nimbusic Files. (laughs) (laughs) I... I'm glad to hear that it was intentional that Jordy is so bad at talking to the computer because I noted it. I was like, why is Jordy the chief engineer? Like he should be the best at talking to the computer, but he's terrible at it. Is it because it has a lady voice and it makes him too nervous? Is like, what is happening? If I decided to give him like the kindest possible reading, I'd say it's because Data's his best friend and he assumes all computers have the capacity mm. to speak <laughs> the way Data can. Fair enough. And so he he banters with non-banterable computers <laughs> because of that. Well, that is exactly how uh, this episode opens. We see Jordy in his shuttle craft uh, called the Onizuka. I don't know. Is that a reference to anything that anyone is aware of? No, but it was. Uh, it's actually a rehash. So it was. It's been several different shuttles ah. over uh, the course of the season. It was like shuttle five and then shuttle seven at one point, and also obscenely small. It's very small. Very yeah, small. it's the fiat <laughs> of shuttles. <laughs> <laughs> Always breaking down on you. But I like the fact, since it is just Jordy and the computer acting in this scene, that this is the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation in which Major Barrett is actually credited as the computer voice on screen 
Um, and I bet she did that because she's like, hey, I'm in an entire scene here with just acting with Jordy. I should be credited uh, and more power to her. For yeah. That. I was also just kind of confused as to why Latin beat was still something that in the 24th century <laughs> could be confused. It was like, no, not a, not a, a fast Latin beat, but a Spanish guitar Latin beat. <laughs> Again, I think just the music of the 20th century is on everyone's brains a little bit too much uh, 400 yeah. years in the future. Well, and for young sci-fi writers, the safest bet is always just to make up a fake music genre and a fake... Uh, uh, a fake species like they, yeah. you're not stepping on anybody's toes right except don't go the star wars route and call the music genre jizz <laughs> that is actually, i mean why not that is actually the canon uh well because it's already taken that's why <laughs> that's the reason no, i don't understand explain this to me <laughs> jimmy did you like the computer doing a trivia game in this situation <laughs> I thought it was so difficult. <laughs> this is like beyond uh, Jeopardy tournament of champions level stuff. It was straight to the, you're not going to get this. <laughs> and poor Jordy has to act not knowing the answers a lot. Uh, what did you guys, what did you actors think of, of him trying to come up with a, uh, a universal? <laughs> I feel like you had an opinion about it, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. I actually, I was thinking like, I don't think it's it very difficult to do, especially in a scene where you're not with someone else too. So he has to kind of carry this. I thought he did the best that uh, we could probably ask an actor to do uh, in that situation. But I did note it. What, what did you guys think, Eric? We can always ask for better. We can't always get better, but we can always ask for it. Yeah. Oh, I just love that he's so in uh, th this sort of moment of uh, being absorbed in with a computer and then that just warbird that comes uh, into the background is just a really beautiful shot. Mm. Like, it's just really well done. Agreed. Right. We're We're so disarmed by him doing trivia games with his Alexa. Uh, that we don't realize that he's in mortal danger there, uh, which I loved too. It was yeah. kind of like the guy I just saw on his porch who was doing his Sudoku when a bear came and sat next to him. Did you see that thing? <laughs> no, that's, that's this. It's just like that, right? It's 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 compelling yeah. content. He, he, he stands up and goes, "Hello, bear. Hello, pretty pretty bear." <laughs> As he walks away. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, pretty warbird. Pretty pretty warbird. Yeah. Oh. Well, and this is a short teaser. It's only like two and a half minutes, but it really gets uh, us set up for what this episode is going to be like uh, because after he gets a little bit of panickiness and tries to call the Enterprise, he gets beamed out away using the Romulan transporter beam, as Jimmy noted. Roll credits. It looks very similar to the Borg transporter beam. That green. Ooh. Yeah. I think it's just the green we associate with them. They might share marketing firms. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> But then we get with the opening of the episode that there is some shenanigans going on with the Klingons, a Creosian system uh, that has a Klingon colony is uh, calling for aid. They think that the Federation had been giving the rebels on their planet aid 
And a new ambassador, Ambassador Kell, a new character that we had not met before, is talking to Picard about about this situation. And at first, we really like Ambassador Kell. He comes on uh, really even even handedly in this scene with Picard, right? For sure. Nothing to worry about there. No red flags. I love his line when he says to Picard, I think it's in this initial scene, there's many on the council who think very highly of you, Picard. And Picard tries to play it a little small, and he says, I'll forgive that, the very human thing. And I thought it was not only a great line, but with one sentence gave you a nice big look into Klingon culture of Mm. and how the dichotomy of, like, you think that's a noble thing. We think you're just a liar for not owning your greatness like we do. Um, And I really appreciated that line. I think it's fun how every time they want us to think that there's a, like, reasonable Klingon, they make him short, old, and fat, and like a like a little like a little bit soft spoken, and it it you could just yes. this parade of these characters over and over at this particular time in in Trek history is fascinating. That's perfect, to me. and they're all fantastic actors. Like I really like this guy, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and and he does it well, especially knowing that it doesn't really exist <laughs> anyway. But can we true. do one clarification? Because I I still sure. don't quite understand on the planet. First of all, is it Krios? Or is the system Krios? It's a little unclear. They say that okay. Vog is the Klingon governor of Krios. Right. Okay. So that's the planet. Who are the rebels? Is this all Klingons on the planet and there are some Klingon rebels who want independence? Or have they colonized this planet and there's a whole other species that are trying to get from under the yoke of the Klingons? I assume it's the second one because of what's happening in... Uh, the Russian Federation at this point in actual history and that and that the Klingons and the Russians were always kind mm. of used by the writers to be the same thing at this point. So I assume it's they colonized it and they don't want to be part of the Klingon Empire anymore rather than. Um, and that becomes more clear because there is an episode later on in this series that focuses on the Creosians and they are a different race. They are not Klingons. Right. Um, and it's so next season. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's, but we didn't know that. It's not very clear in this scene to me either, Jimmy, um, what exactly the political situation is down there. All we know is that Worf is being assigned to work with the ambassador, and he's not down with that because of the discombobulation that um, (laughs) (laughs) that Mr. Worf uh, has undergone. Uh, But Picard sticks to his guns and says, nope, you're going to work with him. Some of that hard-ass stuff that the High Council digs, man. We move to LaForge, who is, uh, we see the shot of the shuttle in a tractor beam uh, outside of uh, the warboard. And then we go in uh, on board that Romulan ship. And uh, this is where we meet John Fleck, uh, who is Tybok, the Romulan officer who is basically doing a Clockwork Orange level uh, brainwashing session here with Jordy. <laughs> yes. Except they're using, instead of having the eye implements that keep the eyes open at all time looking at disturbing images, they use the technology that is already there and get right into his visual cortex by the visor technology that that Jordy has. Terrifying stuff. Give him a glass of milk. (laughs) Take him to the milk bar. Evidence of the glasses. <laughs> uh, this is great. Um, I loved LeVar Burton's performance here, mm. it, being terrified. The one thing that I thought was a little weird is how much he's fighting them when it's coming yeah. in. Yeah. And then he protests to them, like, moving his head. 
was like, yeah. Uh, and you know, not that it was bad acting. It was just like, as the character's like, dude, what do you want? Are you going to fight or not? Yeah. I, I would have a counterpoint and say that that's bad acting. Oh, okay. uh, when, when you, when you come in and you got three guys kind of like, right, if he's yeah. moving his arms like that, he can get his arms free. Right. Or they would stop him from moving his arms like that. It's, it's one or the other. Yeah. Like it's, it's so ridiculous and he's not really resisting. And yeah. All it takes is 15 seconds with a with an actual fight person there. Uh, it would have cost you an extra 500 bucks, yes, if you don't have one for the episode. But also, you wouldn't have four like Gen Xers talking about you 30 years later, right? Uh, <laughs> about having half-assed the entrance of a but of you a know what? character. That right there, I think, stinks of that's a director's choice. Like he said, yes. fight. You just make it look like they can't hold you back. We want to see some spunk in you. Yeah. Um, yes, and not. Uh, but there are ways to do the it actor going. I'm gonna. Like I'm gonna give him a little bit of a resistance here, and then telling mom saying, "Don't go too hard because my arms are sore already." <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a stunt performer uh, or a stunt uh, coordinator for this episode because I read that uh, later on there was a fight between Jordy and Picard uh, that they choreographed and shot, but they cut. Uh, so maybe. Because he was a very uh, good some, choreographer. Yeah, maybe there was just not. <laughs> Should it? Yeah, right. <laughs> I I'm contractually obligated to not say that about another fight director. <laughs> They're all great. Every what did one. you guys think about the person in shadow? Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. there is certainly someone talking in shadow. I know who it was. Well, I was like, is this the episode? I got very excited. Right, right. me uh, too. And then it wasn't the episode. And then I was it's like, not. now I'm confused. But but it was uh, her voice. Yeah, was it? Definitely. Yeah. 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 Oh, so smart. I love it when a plan comes together. But I also love it <laughs> when you can do that kind of storytelling in advance, like laying breadcrumbs yes. is just so delicious. Yeah, yeah, it's well done. Agreed. And it's like, yeah. It's very comic book. Without spoiling it or um, like, they, I love the forethought, like you were saying. Like it's, it wasn't accidental. Yeah. There's so many times, and this is really big in Star Wars, where they said, this is how it always was. And like, really? Because <laughs> you didn't recognize the robots that you grew up with and that you built from scratch. <laughs> So it doesn't seem like it was planned. I love that we're throwing shade on the other uh, Star Wars thing and uh, there's no one there to defend it. Yeah, fuck them. Fuck them. <laughs> uh, I agree. I love that we get this introduction of Sela without her being identified and that it is the voice of an actor that we remember. And it was, she was not actually on set when this occurred. She it was a body double. Mm. And I don't know if you guys noticed this and when you watched it, but when I watched it on a lower res TV, I didn't see any face. I just saw the shadow, but I watched it on a higher res TV. And there actually, you can see there is an actor there mouthing the words that Denise Crosby is saying. Oh, interesting. Is it bad? I just assumed it was her. It, it looks pretty good. Yeah. 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 It, they, they matched it up pretty well. Speaking um, of body doubles. Yes. I just want to know what the casting call that the Romulans put out for the Geordie lookalike. And I imagine them having, you know, a central casting call where they just, everyone's coming in with their resumes and headshots and they make them put on the visor. And I just, I really <laughs> got into the backstory. Another follow up question about Clarity. Why was there a body double? Because he was going to be on Ryza. Jordy w needed to be on Ryza and have people say that he was on Ryza, I guess. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Right. <laughs> now. <laughs> Jimmy is placated. 
There's almost nothing <laughs> that looks similar uh, of this person who is only identified as Akins. The actor only got a last name, uh, was not credited for this, but in the show call sheet, last name Akins. I think the only defining feature was that he was black and <laughs> six inches taller than LeVar Burton and <laughs> didn't otherwise look anything like him. No, I definitely had that moment and, and my husband had to calm me down. He was like, well, nobody at the Rice Sun knows what he looks like. You know, they just know he has right. a visor. And I was like, all right, I'll guess. And there aren't any, there aren't any cameras in the future. <laughs> <laughs> There's no ID. There's no ID badge. You you know what? Now I'm back to being all fired up. (laughs) (laughs) Stupid Romulans. But then, yes, uh, going back to the acting, we do get that great scream uh, from LeVar Burton at the end of this that feels uh, that close up with that slow pan into him. It's it's really uh, well done. And I like the camera work on this episode a lot uh, because it does bring up those 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 tension feelings. Then we go back to Kelt and Worf going in and talking about the freighters that are a bar, you know, basically the tactical situation of what's going on in this planet. But the real uh, crux of this is uh, at the end of the scene when Kel says, hey, Worf, you're not too bad. You did a good thing by killing Duras. The High Council thanks you. And you were a Klingon in this. And he also has a really great line uh, to your point, Jimmy, where he said, motives. Who cares about motives? Humans, maybe. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right, but that is a great setup for everything going on in the future. We go back to the to Ten Forward, uh, where the Romulans are there. So we know it's not real Ten Forward. We know it's a simulation, and this is a disturbing little bit here, where Jordy is ordered to kill everyone's favorite Irishman, other than Eric Colmini, as Miles O'Brien, and he doesn't seem to care too much about getting shot in the face or in the chest. And neither do his friends. But uh, it is this really, I think, the necessary scene to show that the conditioning that Jordy is undergoing is working and that he is able to do this much violence to someone he knows and that we care about. Absolutely necessary. They could have picked a, a character much closer to Jordy for him to kill. Like maybe bring back Leah Brahms just because it's a holodeck so it doesn't matter. But anybody, like... There's never been any scene in the, up to this where Jordy and O'Brien are like really good pals. I think you're right, Jimmy, because it set me on a path of like, oh, that's who they're training him to right. kill. So he's going to take over the transporter, right, and beam somebody bad aboard or, or something. But you're right. right. It should have been, yeah. it should have been, you know, m- taking data apart or or something but i mean killing anybody's bad so like that's i don't want to (laughs) like it's only important if they're a main character and you know why not give the other ones some time off and o'brien a nice little scene and i'd like to (laughs) i'd like to thank you greg for pointing out the pain don't hurt kind of response that o'brien gave yeah uh, which is which is very O'Brien. <laughs> that he'd go home crying. It'd be it'd be perfect. I will say that sitting down with just the sitting down afterwards with the drink, so cold, yeah. like that. I love and the people don't care. That was yeah. perfect because it's Romulans who are right. programming it, right? Like that's what when they they had that C or the shot with them drinking, and then they focus on O'Brien dead in the corner. Yeah, <laughs> like. What a very Romulan thing to do in the um, holiday. <laughs> yeah. Just leaving the body there so you can linger on uh, the destruction you've wrought. And I love that shot because you get a little hint of Jordy turning 
to acknowledge that there's a body of his friend behind him. Mm. But then we all focus on that the the, the death. Let's of, not call them friends; they're colleagues. I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and and to your point on that, I think this was a, a a choice that was deliberately made because they probably didn't want to put Jordy killing one of the main cast. Uh, for some reason, that was. A bridge too far? I don't know why, but that was where my brain went. What a hell of a teaser that would have been for the yeah. week before. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. Jordy's shooting Riker in the face. He's like, what? <laughs> but they're going to condition him some more because he did, in fact, hesitate. He didn't kill O'Brien right away, uh, which means they have to put him in the the uh, uh, machine again. The next scene, he's back. He's arrived. Uh, he's got some great banter here with Data, and it seems like he's back to normal with no conditioning at all. So it seems to have worked really well. I love that that this scene is just like comic relief with Jordy and Data, and it's just as natural as it would ever be. And the whole crew, right? It's the whole walk with uh, um, Data, and then he's in engineering, uh, mm-hmm. and like they it, it show the whole engineering there from a great shot from the like third floor all the way down to the bottom, and he's holding court with everybody. And I was like, I think I like possess Jordy better. <laughs> he's actually way more confident, and he's funny and just easy going. Like this guy's good. Yep. And as Troy says, there's something different about him. They definitely messed with his manners, though, because he brings all his shit onto the bridge with him in order <laughs> to be like, I'm back. Instead of <laughs> dropping it off, you know, it right. would have taken 10 right. minutes out of his day. This is where we also get the first mention of the E-band emissions that are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Data and Riker start investigating that little thread of E-Band. I never heard of the E-Band, but I'm pretty sure that's where uh, Bruce Springsteen got his name. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for that. Well done. (laughs) Pitying love. I love it. (laughs) Affectionately pitying. Troy is walking him down the hallway and trying to figure out if he's gotten a little something something. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's where he comes up with that whole story about Jonica. Uh, Bless him. R.I.P. Jonica as a real person. <laughs> that, and that was fun too, right? Like Troy, this is two episodes in a row where she's kind of the gossip hound looking for mm-hmm. the dirty, the dirty little inside info on what's happening with the crew's sex life. Uh, and I love it. I thought uh, <laughs> it was fun Troy again. Like jo- Possessed Jordy's really bringing out the best in everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and this is the first kind of little bit of of crack in Jordy's facade, though, because she's like, hmm, he would have said more or, or like, you know, that, this scene, that scene ends with her being like, why isn't he being more? Uh, oh, that's uh, interesting. Great. I didn't get that at all. I took it as a funny moment from from Marina Sirtis playing mm. with the that's all I get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what so I that, that was my. Guess. I like it all. I'm gonna I'm gonna build Greg's into into the other one, which is I agreed with you guys. But I'm gonna build <laughs> Greg's into it the next time I see it. I like it. Uh, all right, so they go to Creos, uh, and this is where we meet Governor Vag, uh, Vag, Vog, Vog. Uh, and sorry, you gotta be real Excuse careful, me? real careful with that. <laughs> yeah. It's, Give it to F. Don't write that out phonetically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, and this is where he throws in her face, like, oh, do you give medical supplies? She's like, yeah, we give medical supplies to everyone. We don't restrict access. Are you the same with your weapons? And he produces a Federation issue rifle that very much, uh, you know, puts Riker and Picard on their on their heels. Uh, I love that they were like, hmm, this prop. Riker's like, this looks uh, this looks real. Yeah, yeah. So then they take that that weapon back to the Enterprise. That's the important bit there. There's some back and forth between uh, uh, Vog and Picard with some good swearing. I don't know what he mm. said in Klingon back to Vog, but it seemed badass. And I just love that Picard can go toe-to-toe with uh, these Klingons. Sexy. It was... No, it was just very sexy. It was that it was that pause he took before the response, like to stare him down first and then take a step towards him and then come out with it. Like it was nice. Yeah. Yeah, it was good stuff. We move to 10 forward and LaForge enters and he sees O'Brien. And this is where we get that point of view of what's in his visor here, and which I wasn't clear at the first watching. But the second watching, I'm like, oh, this is him getting a message from the ambassador, who is also in 10 Forward at that time, and a test, essentially, mm. to see whether or not the conditioning is still intact. And so he's commanded to take this drink. And I, I didn't, again, I didn't understand this at first. We only kind of put it together. He is commanded to pour this drink on O'Brien. As a test? To prove that the conditioning yeah. is, is okay. Intact. That's great. That's canon now because I didn't catch that and I love that because this scene was out of left field for me, but you're totally right. No, yeah. yeah, yeah. Agreed, Kate. I was like, why does he have to pour that shit on him? For what reason? And why is he reading Klingon all of a sudden? Absolutely makes sense, though, what you just said. Right? And I think it, it because otherwise you're like, is it guilt? I thought with like, did he was he remembering that he had shot him in the in the hologram and he was trying to do something? I'm like, why would he try to pour like? But now I must quench my guilt. Yeah, <laughs> with, you think this is bad? I could have killed you, dude. With some red Torian. I must kill the queen. Yeah, <laughs> I totally had that in my head as too. Uh, the naked eye, naked gun. I like that O'Brien does this, I'm really put out, but it, this is my commanding officer and it's not that big of a deal bit that he does so well. Yeah, come up. That's not <laughs> acting. When somebody really pours water on you, you don't have to act like somebody's pouring water on you. <laughs> they poured water on you. Yeah. He's like, oh, you're soaked. He's like, yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> For real. Thanks, LeVar. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but this is also where I noted uh, this this ending shot. This is where Picard and Riker and sometimes Data get this ending shot. That's the uh, the stinger of an end of an act before we go into commercial break. And for some reason, Jordy uh, Lavar Burton here as Jordy can't really nail that. Like, just stay still for a long time so that we can cut because he's constantly doing the like. Well, I don't know what happened. And then it kind yes. of fades out a little bit awkwardly, I thought. <laughs> what a klutzy guy I am. <laughs> it's interesting because you, you never know when the cut is coming. So, like, if the director doesn't tell you I would like a long thing here, you have to just do it. But you don't have to do that. <laughs> Unless he says, do that. Yep. Do you know? Yep. It's a fascinating thing. I know he saw it and went, oh, come on. Give me another take. <laughs> then, like, that's the best take we got. All right, it's going in the show. <laughs> yep. um, we cut directly to them testing this phaser in engineering, Data and Jordy. I thought this was a really great scene because 
the conditioning is not inactive here. Like Jordy is still being Jordy, still trying to figure out the puzzle that his commanding officers had given him. And he's unwittingly, um, you know, figuring out how his captors are are at the heart of all of this. Um, but we as the audience know that. And it's just, I thought that was, that made all the techno babble within this scene very interesting to me. And it was interesting the way they started this scene because it focused only on Jordy working on some sort of a device. And I was like, this is it. What is he like? Because mm. you're right. It's a slow burn so that everything he does is something that then gets re-examined by the viewer to see, is this the moment? Is this suspicious? Is this, mm-hmm. you know, and then they widen out to reveal data. And I was like, oh, okay, this this isn't it yet. But I just think there's lots of those little morsels throughout, um, similar to, like you have now pointed out, Greg, the, the pouring of the liquid on O'Brien, right? That's a little breadcrumb. Yeah, the writer on this was great. I should note it's Renee Echeverria, uh, who wrote The Offspring uh, with Worf adopting uh, the uh, human boy that we never hear from again. <laughs> <laughs> that was his first script, but he this one is a, is a banger. I think it's really well done and well put together. Uh, so kudos to Renee Echeverria for that. And it ends with Jordy being the person who puts it all together. And he's like, well, who would stand? To, you know, there's 327 known species who use this type of, of powering up the power crystals. I think we can narrow it down. It's probably the Romulans. And then it cuts directly from him giving that information to uh, Governor Vogue and Picard and the ambassador uh, right away. It's just a great little smash cut of a thing being like, nope, the Romulans are doing it. And here's why. They're still skeptical. They're going to try and uh, figure out more about it. Science the fuck out of that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then we get another signal on Jordy's visor. The visor stuff here is different than it was in the first season, too. Like, it that seemed more like just the the temperature infrared type look. This is it's so interesting to see another another one. And every time they do it in this episode, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, as well as having those Romulan symbols underneath kind of makes it feel alien at the same time, uh, too, uh, which, again, I didn't really get into later, but those that was the command signals that he was receiving in my interpretation. But then speaking of science shit, uh, Riker and Data are up on the science terminal on the bridge and are looking at these E-band emissions and uh, trying to postulate if the Romulans are maybe using this e-band emission as a way to communicate and they're like well we've never heard of that before but i can use the sensor arrays to uh try and pinpoint the source but only if they use it again and Riker says sure yeah do it make it so i can't hear e-band without hearing like without seeing an exercise piece of equipment (laughs) and that's not their fault because that didn't exist yet but now that's what everything's kind of called so It was weird for me. They almost called this the Thigh Master Band. uh, (laughs) (laughs) They couldn't get Sally Struthers' approval. (laughs) Wow. Notoriously difficult. That's a callback, people. Or was that Suzanne Summers? Yeah, it was Suzanne Summers. It was Suzanne Suzanne Summers. But but famously, Sally Struthers was also against it. But then we do finally get LaForge doing some shady stuff in the cargo bay. Um, I love all of this because by the end of it, he says, I just want to make sure, computer, that you're erasing all the records of this happening so everyone knows that we're on the up and up, right? <laughs> Everything except for that last question, yes. <laughs> 
But now they have a rapport because they have played trivia together. Yeah. Well, no, because he's better. He's better now that he, he's had his, his, you know, though it's incorrect, brainwashed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get to that for sure. Um, but it's immediately discovered. Fog is like, yo, dude, come on. And I love that this, this he hails them and uh, they get the visual on screen, but we get the visual of Vogue like walking up to the camera and being angry at Picard. It's so good. Yeah. It is so good. Just so everyone is aware, in the audio platform, all of us were putting our faces up next to the camera just like Vogue. <laughs> and I think that's the purpose though, right? Is, yeah, it is was... for it to be found out right, right. away. Yeah. Is, right, which is is so like that cause and effect is really a nice one, two punch. And then the showing up of those, all of those other ships. Beautiful. Yeah. We get the Vorcha yeah. class attack cruiser and two birds of prey, not one, but two mm. badass Klingons. Um, this shot was, uh, or at least the visual effects shot was recycled from other episodes. Uh, it's from reunion. It was season four episode reunion reused footage. So, they're using it all that That's they good. can. Recycle, reuse, reduce. But it's terrifying having these Klingons uh, be like, mm, yeah, weapons ready to go. And uh, they only have a few hours, basically, before uh, they start getting things messed up. What do you think, Eric? I think cloaking is the best. I think the the repeated use of that gives space even more menace. Uh and every time it's used, it also feels like the ocean and the threat comes from places you can't see. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's very cool that they have decided that so many enemies have use of stealth technology. And it's even more cool that they have decided that the Federation does not. Interesting thing. Especially since the Federation inspired them to discover cloaking technology. More yeah. specifically, Kirk's dad. That dude. Oh, I'm going to steal his car and drive it off a cliff. <laughs> but the ambassador delays a little bit by saying you got to talk to the high council before you open fire on a Federation ship, which, you know, seems reasonable. Um, but they only have a few hours. So the investigation that they were already undergoing with a lot of pressure suddenly has a time uh, element involved, uh, which, of course, works to Kel's favor. Um but there's an investigation now, and they figure out by looking at the big board of the ship. Um, this is called the... Master Systems Display. We've seen it in engineering basically for the entire series, but it's very uh, rare that it gets showcased quite like this. But you get Data and Jordy looking at that and seeing where the power is going in different areas. It's not quite a one-to-one exactly as to what they're saying necessarily, but it's enough for me to be like, okay, yeah, they're they're deducing where uh, someone could have um, engineered a way for power to be diverted while also covering their tracks. And they say it a couple of times here, there's only a few people who could pull this off on the ship. They get to Cargo Bay 4, the security team is doing it all there, O'Brien, and uh, this is where Jordy also says, hey, there's only like, you know, there's me, there's this person, there's this person, and he very, by saying it's me, you know, a little bit the folks there, even the wharf says, what are you doing? Do you have any alibis? Kind of just kind of ignores the fact that Jordy is really the top uh, suspect. Right. And where was O'Brien? That's right. In the Arboretum. With Keiko. <laughs> that place is so dirty. <laughs> we'll see the results of that liaison in Deep Space Nine. 
And that's the music. How did they get the computer to play that music? What, what questions did O'Brien ask? <laughs> Late 20th century bass riff from pornographic films. I think it's standard, Eric. Anytime you walk into you the go. Arboretum, it's... <laughs> burr, 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 it's it's just playing at all times. Like, and if you just look at flowers, Mash was like, um, what are you doing? <laughs> okay, I love it, the canon. All right, but then Kel goes down to the planet. He says, I'll be able to smooth this over and make sure that, uh, you know, Vogue doesn't do anything crazy. Maybe I'll bring him up to the ship and let him, you know, uh, invest, you know, it'll be a good show of goodwill to have him be on the ship mm. so that you can show the investigation that it's happening and that we're taking Smooth it seriously. talker, that guy. Ooh. Mm. Then we see him in a, <laughs> uh, in his quarters with that awful Klingon God. feast in front of him. Really indulgent. So much food there. That's where I knew he was evil. Yeah. Yeah. Or just in a replicator abuser. <laughs> <laughs> I noted that the actor doesn't actually eat any of the disgusting stuff. It just looks like he's eating like a little bit of rice when he is forced Wimp. to. Right. He does poke his his fork in the one thing. It's like, oh yes, yes, it's uh, just right, just right. <laughs> he does have a little it's bit the of Klingon mm. break of the creme brulee. <laughs> I can't wait for this. It's gonna go in my mouth so hard. <laughs> but before that, LaForge shows up, and he's all, I, you know, ambassador's almost a little bit like put out. He's like, "Yes, come in, LaForge." By the way, I want you to do this, do this, do this, kill this person, and get the fuck out while I can eat my feast. And he does, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then he goes back to drinking yeah. out of his Klingon cup <laughs> with two hands. Amazing, like he's Trump or something. <laughs> I wrote, I wrote what a twist because I genuinely was like, oh, right. Oh, shit. Like, uh, you know, I think that they do a nice job uh, laying little breadcrumbs, but not so overtly uh, that this is sort of a inevitable like, well, Jesus, mm. we finally got to this scene. It's about goddamn time. Right. right? Yeah. And I think that's <laughs> writing, yeah. but also the, the guy who's playing yeah, him for sure. never like winks at the eye like some actors might uh oh i hope they're not looking at me right now so they'll yeah. see i'm guilty because he seems honestly as perplexed as anybody else yeah. as to what's going on totally good liar yeah and yeah, likable like he 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 guts everybody on uh his side with the way he is so affable including wharf grifter all right but we do see a lot of i'm realizing in this season is particular but basically over the entire series uh we see a lot of sleeping scenes lots of different kinds of pjs i was excited <laughs> yeah in the small bed what's your favorite in a very tiny bed like his bed is too small for him well if he sleeps in the fetal position like that all the time then it's fine <laughs> he has to or else his feet would go off the end of the bed <laughs> i got your room correct me if i'm wrong but i got the sense from watching this that they shot this part while they were shooting someone else in another part of the set. They just basically do like, all right, we just need five foot feet of this set to get this scene down, you know, in between other stuff while they're in the middle of TV production. Did you get that sense too? I do now. I do now. It's canon. I even love yep. that when he, when he jolts awake from this awful nightmare that he's having, uh, the plants and things move a little bit because it's too close <laughs> to the bed. <laughs> he calls O'Brien. And you can call people immediately, right? Like you don't, there's no effort. Yeah. You could just wake up and call somebody. That probably 
leads to a lot of bad 3 a.m. calls. <laughs> a lot of regretful things. I don't want to look at Riker's call log. <laughs> no. <laughs> you the, maybe the computer takes the synthahol level from the air around you before it allows you to call somebody. I love that. <laughs> oh, it just It's just all Riker being like, you up? You up? (laughs) (laughs) Arboretum? Uh, All right. So uh, he calls Chief O'Brien and he's guilty for having, like, he clearly was dreaming of killing O'Brien and then gets a little bit of clarity. He's like, oh, I'm I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Right. So we get that sense that, like, maybe the conditioning is not working any well. And I like that also. That's necessary here because we want to root for our hero to kind of break through this, even though we know he ultimately doesn't, but like that, that's kind of throughout this, that somehow this last act that Jordy is not 100% conditioned. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what we're used to expecting from our entertainment. Right. Um, Dr. Crusher tries to help him out. Just, you know, they do some scans. She sees one like blip uh, of a thing, which now we know is probably due to his brainwashing because his visual cortex made a whole bunch of, more connections or there was more blood flow to the visual cortex. I'm like, ah, yeah, that's because of the, what they did to him. But mm-hmm. we don't know that later on until later on. And then she hands him something, a somnetic inducer, which I also thought like, oh, maybe that's going to be the thing that disrupts, you know, the, the, the brainwashing or the conditioning that he's received. Didn't actually end up paying out. But Vog uh, comes on to the Enterprise and uh, they start uh, just walking around the cargo bay and seeing what's happening. And then this whole sequence I absolutely love because it cuts between these different perspectives as different people are putting it all together. um, And the E-band emissions are being used. And so Data is able to pinpoint and he gets all the little bit of bits of information here. What did you guys hear? I'll throw it to uh, you, Eric, uh, to talk about this sequence as to like, what do you thought about these, these, these shots? Oh, I, you know, it's one of those things where you go back and forth between loving that the work is so interesting that it makes you notice it. Do you know? And being frustrated that you're out of the story now because you're noticing how good the work is. Mm. Uh, but I don't. I don't think I ever got frustrated with this. But it is one of my favorite visual sequences that doesn't involve like outdoors in <laughs> in mm. Star Trek. Do you know? Like it was that good. Um, and kind of the whole episode. I think you were talking about how much you like the camera work in this episode. You know, they go they go from point of view stuff that was just coming into existence at the beginning of uh, Manchurian Candidate, you know, and taken a little further with things like Peeping Tom and in the slasher genre, but it still feels every time they do that with Geordi ominous, mm-hmm. you know, because of how often it's used in horror. And then when you go to watch the realizations and work of the other characters, like it, it's a different style. And I just kind of, I appreciate it. I, I, I felt myself really appreciating this scene. Me too. Me too. And I love that we, even though Jordy's about to kill someone, he gets interrupted. I felt that frustration of like, oh, O'Brien's got him to do something. So I have to put the phaser that I was about to take out and kill that dude with. And But that works to his our, our audience's favor because it gives Data a little bit more time to put together what's happened on the shuttlecraft and all that stuff. Well, what about you, Kate? What did you think of the sequence? I think it's fantastic. It's very cinematic. It's very... Um, uh, well paced 
unlike my answer just now, it is well paced. <laughs> uh, I feel like it uses a lot of different kind of jump cuts. Like there's that great scene of Jordy walking down the hall yes. and it's just right directly in front of him. Like there's just, it, it utilizes a lot of bells and whistles for maximum effect. Um, and, but they're, they're easy, you know, editing tricks, right? Like it's nothing mind blowing, but the way it's all pieced together is just uh, really, really well done. Agreed. I love that tracking wide angle shot in the hallway because it just it, it's not something you see in Star Trek yeah. at all. And it's immediately off putting, but also tense. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree that the word cinematic is really useful in here because it, it did kind of feel like movie shots, but using video yeah. and it, it, so it super works. Jimmy, what did you think of Data putting this all together and calling Worf and then Worf being blocked by two Klingons. Thwarted? Thwarted? <laughs> I love Sherlock Data, always. So yes. seeing him piece together something, one, is fantastic because of Brent Spiner, but two, it's just a natural character to pick because you don't doubt it ever. Like, of course he would ask the exact right questions to get to the answer as fast as possible. Um, so it's totally believable without having to do much to get to that level of believability. Uh, it's it was really fun watching because you knew he would solve it but it's still that tension of how where is it how's the puzzle gonna fit um and then as soon as he calls Worf, you're like okay there's there's no way Worf can stop this (laughs) 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 he never does he can't win a fight (laughs) he can't win a fight except for one against (laughs) duras well i love too that this is a suspenseful scene that has to do with something that the time is running out on but we are not subjected to the rdr like there is no red digital readout to have us freaking out about it we just have to watch them deal with it in real time and it's so much more interesting yep totally picard is really the one that thwarts geordie's assassination attempts on governor vog he just just in the nick of time gets his hand up to shoot the phaser up i I, that's i think might be the first time i've seen phaser fire be redirected like that and so even the, the visual effect of is shooting one way and then him pushing it up and shooting another way was really strong in that situation yes and apparently this was where the fight scene was supposed to occur like there was supposed to be a fracas between uh picard and Jordy. uh and i'm glad that they cut it because this oddly enough is more interesting that it was just oh it was just a simple like nope and it was seconds of time that Jordy, that data bought by, uh, you know, piecing this together in time. Uh, it was just that close. I love that. Mm. So Vogue says, uh, oh, you would dare assassinate me. And this is where data really does his Sherlock Holmes moment here. He might as well have had a hat and pipe uh, ready to go because he, he tells everything. Right. He, he, and it, I actually appreciate that. It's just like, nope, here is everything from X, Y to Z. What's happening? And Kel tries to get asylum and says, just kidding. I'm not saying I'm guilty. I'm just saying I'm not innocent. I'm not not licking toads. Only small plot hole here is they say the only two people who could have done this are Picard and Kel. And they immediately be like, oh, it's him. It's Kel. 
mostly because he's the one who says, hey, you can't search me. Uh, so you're, at, to your point, Jimmy, he's basically saying he's guilty yeah, yeah. at that point. Well, even the Klingons are like, you're guilty. Yeah, he's like, I smell it on you. you know? <laughs> and also because his costume is so big and it has so many pockets, of course he's the one hiding something. <laughs> Picard has just got his, uh, his you know, Skin uniform. tight outfit on. Yeah. Can't hide anything in that, huh, Kate? That's <laughs> for sure. It's not for lack of looking. That's right. <laughs> uh, so the Klingons beam away and you get the sense that Kel is going to be killed <laughs> basically <laughs> he's, he's totally screwed yeah. uh, as a traitor uh, to the Romulans but I love this ending scene I, it's so powerful and sad and tragic that LaForge is visually uncomfortable with his situation here and doesn't understand what's right and wrong and what his real memories are and what it, what it, it was placed upon him by the Romulans. And Troy does a really great job of, uh, of counseling here. She's really come through in the final episodes of this season to be a really strong advocate for the crew members that she's working with. And it reminded me a little bit of like, you know, not necessarily uh, the counseling that would go through for for conditioning like this, but for PTSD, like being able to like tell people like, no, this is you have to get through this, and you're doing the work. It's just going to take time. And uh, I don't know what was your what were uh, Kate? What was your reaction to to the scene here at the end? No, it's just it's well done in that it leaves it up in the air, right? Like there's no sort of we don't come in on the counseling session where suddenly he's having the breakthrough at the end, right? Like it's very much left that there is going to be this work to do. And it ends it on a melancholy note. It's really beautiful. Um, but yeah, I was like, Oh, but what I forget the name. Jonica. Is that the name? Yeah. <laughs> the <lady laughs> thought, Jonica. The waiter got our order wrong. It's a great fake name too. Right a great fake name when i'm writing stuff i always have difficulty naming people and jonica's great <laughs> yeah you just take you just take one letter and you change it from a normal name like that's monica so you get jonica yeah. uh you, jimothy is a great one <laughs> uh, <laughs> how about benifer can yeah. we use that one that's pretty good that's yeah. good i mean millions of newspapers can be wrong <laughs> Eric, what was your reaction to this ending scene before we get to the end here? I like people helping people. Yeah. It's nice. That's everybody go to therapy is great. Uh, that's my reaction to this scene. It's very good, very good way to end this episode. Agreed. And for all the reasons Kate said as well. Agreed. And then the final shot is I, I like this also too for uh, from Livingston, the director, that you get the sense that that it's a close up of the hull of the ship potentially where Jordy and uh, Counselor Troy are in that moment. And then that slow pull out, it just, it, for some reason, even that was a cinematic ending to this episode for me. Um, yeah. And so again, we'll have a lot of tendrils of this storytelling be impacting Star Trek canon going forward, which is super cool. And uh, it's time for our final thoughts on this episode of The Mind's Eye. I will throw it to you, Jimmy G, first for your final thoughts. I'm going to give this one eight bad trips to Riza. <laughs> <laughs>
I love that they have the Klingons and the Romulans all wrapped up in this, uh, a shadowy figure that is going to play a bigger role uh, coming up very soon to end the season. Um, uh, it's a great mix of, you know, sometimes the show can get too heavy handed with you have to have seen everything to understand anything. Um, and this is a nice little mix of you don't, but there are continuity things where if you are paying attention, you, you don't have to know anything about Tasha for this to be great. But if you do, it's an Easter egg of, oh, shoot, something's coming. Um, and they're building up to this big Klingon story that will impact not just this episode, but future um, franchises in the Star Trek universe and the movies. Uh, great performances all around. Um, I I have, I know the episodes that are coming. I don't remember them. So I'm hoping that they carry forward with what they ended with. And that is not just curing LeVar Burton or Jordy LaForge of this, this traumatic thing that has happened to him, but it's something he has to carry. I know that they don't do this beyond like in in future seasons of the movies he's not carrying the weight of having been brutalized in this way but i'm hoping that they at least visit it again as they did with picard dealing with the very similar thing happening to him from the borg and it didn't mm. just go away and it had it impacted his daily life and we saw it uh in other episodes um and that last scene like you guys are saying how well marina Sirtis handled it how well they gave the, the character Troy this wrote the scene for her. This is what the character and my favorite thing about that character is these type of moments where she's applying the trade. It's too often for me personally, the the betazoid ability of sensing other people and be able to read them hasn't really worked. It's been, <laughs> you know, like behind the gun. Like the audience is right there. It was like, yeah, we saw it too. You're, you're <laughs> There's no special ability there. And this is like, this is special. Like this is like, not everyone can do what you just did. And that's pretty cool. So uh, I really love this episode. Really impacts the whole franchise, Star Trek as a gigantic universe. Uh, so it is a must see. Like you sh need to put this on your radar. If you're only going to watch a handful, this should be a part of it. Because when you jump from you know, a few episodes a season over the arc, this is one of the important ones. Absolutely. All right, Eric, what did you think? I give it eight nine-volt batteries mm. because if they had just gotten their battery situation correct, the gun would have been much less easy to figure out and the whole thing works. <laughs> you buy yourself at least six seconds if you use if you use the nine-volt batteries, you fucking dumbasses. <laughs> I really liked it. I, uh, everything that everybody else has said is right there. Like, I, I love how the presence of bad actors, and I mean it in the news sense, not in the theater sense, <laughs> uh, but the presence of liars in in diplomatic relations is so kind of an omnipresent thing because that industry is just like any other. Uh, so you are filled at the highest levels with bad people in, in at least direct numbers as to the good people. So it's fascinating when Star Trek kind of admits that, you know, they, they, they only seldom do that with the Federation, but they admit that with the other ones, if there are people who mean well, there are also people who don't. And it's all about figuring out how and why that exists. Uh, and so it's interesting when, when the episode does it and does it with such flair. Like, I, I really like this episode. Yeah. So eight. All right. Eight. Eight's all around. What do you think, Kate? 
I'm going to give it eight and a half trips <gasps> to the Arboretum. Yeah. <laughs> What's a half trip of, to the Arboretum? Uh, don't worry oh, about it. You know. You know. <laughs> uh, everything that has been said has been lovely and lucid and full of in, full of insight. Uh, I will add to that just loving the visual storytelling of this particular episode. I mentioned cinematic. I'll say it again because it made Eric happy when I said it. Uh, there are just so many different editing styles and storytelling uh, points of view that just really give this a cinematic scope and make it very different from some of the other episodes. And I think that this episode deserves to be highlighted, much like Jimmy said, there's so many tendrils from this episode that that go out from the past, out into the future, uh, into who knows, parallel universes, why not? Uh, sure, let's bring everything in, right? Uh, there are, exactly, like there's just so many different um, reasons why this episode should be viewed and the performances are one of them, the visual storytelling is another, and again, it's part in the larger canon is yet another. Uh, and I give it a uh, half a point extra uh, just because there was uh, mention of the Arboretum in the first place. And we all know what that means. Mm-hmm. We all know. Mm-hmm. Mm. Star Wars music in the Arboretum. Yeah. The jizz. There's a lot of jizz. Oh, lots of jizz. <laughs> there you go. There, <laughs> oh, <it>. my gosh. <laughs> oh, no. We went there. I am going to give this one nine full cast members. Because I didn't realize this as as all of you are talking, this episode is very important for all of the reasons you all said about the storyline between Romulans and Klingons and what's going on there. But I also really love that each member of the crew had a very natural way in which their role was shown in this episode. It wasn't weird. It wasn't put upon. The doctor was doing doctor stuff. The chief of security and tactical officer was doing that. Even O'Brien was doing what the engineering does, Chief O'Brien, and, and you know Riker was being the XO by working with Data in that way, and like the captain was doing his badass shit with the ambassador, doing like everybody was their quintessential role on the ship in this episode, and I you didn't even really notice it because it was perfect, right? And I love that that is integrated with it being an extremely canon heavy, guest star heavy episode at the same time. That's really difficult to do and to pull off in a show like this. And it, and it worked. Uh, even from the, the computer, having computer voice being a really integral part to this, not only in the beginning part with um, with Jordy, but even in the investigation part with, with Data trying to figure out what exactly was happening. So firing in all cylinders, nine out of 10. It's amazing. And you should definitely watch it. And boy, are my pants wet. <laughs> I can tell from here. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Re-Engage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fourth season of Star Trek The Next Generation. Follow Re-Engage on Twitter at ReEngageTNG to get updates when episodes are published and some other stuff. You can also follow our various Cultural Bridge crew on social media. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. 
Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengaged is edited by Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97 on Twitter. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now for the travelers to reengage.